This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and I'm joined by Robert Geyer today for some questions and answers. And uh, Robert is actually over in Texas right now, and uh, it's a little, I think, a little cooler there than here in the, in the Peninsular Florida. But uh, but before we move on to some of those questions, I have a couple announcements. Number one, uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. I know a lot of folks have uh, signed up for the coaching, and I appreciate that. Uh, if you do sign up and schedule an appointment, make sure that you have a receipt as far as an email. Make sure you do get a confirmation in your email that you've, you were able to get the coaching signed up and everything. And you also will get the day before, you'll get a notification telling you that we have a coaching call because that's uh, happened to one or two people where they uh, weren't able to actually schedule it properly. So make sure you click on it, click on accept, and then go from there. Uh, obviously, we do the interview prep and also uh, helping people change careers uh, and, and a lot of other things in life, deciding, hey, where do I want to go? And it might be a pilot, might be a flight attendant, might be a mechanic, that type of thing. Put a plan together and move forward with that plan. Also, don't forget the Scholarships 2018 book is live on Amazon. It'll also be available on iTunes soon. It's actually out there, but we have to fix a couple things on it, so I'm not going to advertise that yet. Uh, so there's a lot more scholarships on there. We have a lot more that are coming out, uh, so that I'm pretty excited about that. Anyway, well, uh, Robert, welcome uh, back to the, the podcast, and it's, it's wonderful having you on today. Howdy. Good to be back, Carl. How you doing? <laughs> Howdy from Texas. I like that. Yeah, that's right. You said Texas. I just felt like saying Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. I was just in Texas, and uh, amazingly enough, there was a ton of, uh, well, a lot of fog. I was surprised. Right there in Austin, the one morning I was landing. Just incredible. Um, but uh, And you've been doing a lot of flying, been really busy, and been uh, you know been involved in a lot of different things. So I think that's great. It's great that you're in love and life flying. Uh, how much have you been flying lately, by the way? Well, you know, uh, I so beginning of the month, everything's kind of bunched together right now. So I've been flying kind of quite a bit. Last month, uh, I bid reserve. It worked out pretty well. I only went in eight days out of the 15 I was on call. Wow. So it's kind of like my December. So from December to January, I flew 16 days total. And now I think I've flown about, I don't even know what day it is right now, probably about six days already this month so wow. <laughs> yeah I've been, I've been flying quite a yeah, bit this it's month it's the eighth day of the month and you've already done that that's incredible uh, oh is it okay there yeah. you go I don't know what day it is <laughs> you've been working too much <laughs> and, there you go hey and I'll tell you what it happens you know I try to do about 15 days off a month sometimes it doesn't work out especially on reserve uh, especially where I work our reserves a little different they, we work a lot more than a lot of the other airlines and uh, so being uh, having a line is a wonderful thing uh, and we're going to get into that by the way a little bit later from some feedback from a customer or from a uh, uh, listener. So uh, as far as days on reserve and actual flying time. But I tell you what, Robert, you ready for some questions? I know we don't have a lot of time today, but so let's, let's dig into them. Why don't we? Yeah, let's jump right in. Awesome. Our first one comes in, and it's actually a, it's a pretty long story, uh, and we uh, we can't actually read the whole story because it, it involves a lot of confidential information. That's another reason we have uh, the coaching sessions, etc. But this person wanted me to share something with you, and we've talked about it in past episodes. This is an individual who's in the military and uh, actually. Um, 
became disabled, okay? And not just the military, there's other organizations out there that have what's called vocational rehabilitation. What specifically I want to talk about, though, is the VA vocational rehabilitation. VA vocational rehabilitation is out there. I've been getting lots of requests about this, and I uh, actually I have a, a really good story. Somebody that uh, recently I was working with at the college was able to get vo- uh, 100% uh, disability through uh, their injuries and was able to go back to school with their voc rehab and get a two-year degree, starting a two-year degree actually right now. So pretty excited about that and, uh, and excited that an individual will be able to get those benefits. And a lot of times it's not just the benefits for the individual, it can also be some benefits for the spouse. So you really have to look into that. Now, with that said, I know we're going to get a lot of questions about voc rehab. Um, there, I'm not an expert in that, and I think there's not many out there, and you get a lot of different questions. We do have a couple of people that we have as contacts right now, and uh, I, I really want to make sure you get the right information. So I don't want to talk about it too much right now, but we really want to get somebody on and talk about vocational rehab. And if you know somebody and you're listening right now that is really good and can explain uh, the situation with voc rehab, and I understand things change every day uh, with rehabilitation and VA benefits, I would love to have them on. Just remember this, that it's out there. And if you work real hard, just like this person did, and like uh, a couple of other folks have been on the show have done, you can get your vocational rehabilitation from the VA. And that can include uh, working towards a mechanics license, a pilot's license, or any type of a degree to put you into the aviation field. Of course, we're into aerospace and aviation, so we we love that. But in anything, it's great that they're doing this. So, uh, So just remember that. Um, also, the next thing I want to go on to is kind of interesting. I There's a, a person who wrote an article yesterday. His name is Ben Sclair. He's been on the show before. He writes for General Aviation News. And uh, the title of the article and the title of this show is, is basically Pilot Pay Shortage with a question mark. And his title in his article is, It Isn't a Pilot Shortage, It's a Compensation Shortage. And I actually am going to disagree with everybody out there that talks about it being a pay shortage and being a compensation shortage. And that would be the president of the Airline Pilots Association and also the president of AOPA that speaks about it, Mark Baker. And I know it's going to be a little bit, uh, and, and I hate to disagree with those folks because I, I think there's there's a lot of more nuance to what they're trying to really say. And one of the things that has bothered me with this industry for many, many years is how we represent the pay and the pilot quote-unquote pay shortage uh, that they're talking about. So the argument basically amongst all the people that talk about the pay shortage is that if we had just paid more, more people would do this. Uh, My argument is this, is that we wind up uh, not getting people involved in aviation because we don't ever really tell them the benefits of being an airline pilot down the road. And the fact that, yes, it takes a long time to get to the point where you're making a lot of money. Even now, $70,000 is not a lot of money starting out in a job because there's a lot of folks coming out of college doing that, making 70 or more. So if you're, you're looking to make your, your immediate salary is all you're looking at, don't do it. You need to look at down the road. And one of the things that I always like to argue, and I hate to put big numbers out there, but I'm going to because of the topic we're talking about. It bothers me when I hear people talk about this this shortage of pilots because of the pay, but they forget that it's because we haven't actually done a good job telling people about 
the financial benefits of this job. Most people retiring from a lifetime in an airline are walking away with millions of dollars in their pockets. There aren't many careers out there where you're walking away with that much. Now, what do I mean by that? They're walking away with 401ks with three, four, five million dollars. And the and and if say you say you don't have that, say you started late and all you have is say one or two million dollars in your account, that's still a lot better than most out there. The problem is you listening right now, if you're starting out in life, these numbers don't mean much to you. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, everybody is gonna make a ton of money and, and especially the millennials. I think um, God bless you, but but one of the things that uh, I think is is really important in your world is to be able to be successful and be successful immediately, and that's where this co- comes in, where we talk about this pay shortage. You're going to make a lot of money right away. Um, I also don't like the comments from the, the airline pilots that say, well, back in the day, I made nothing. And yeah, I made nothing too. I lived out of my car for a while. I made $14,000 a year for uh, three years or two years. My third year, I made 16000 Wow, big whip. But you know, we really have to, we have to be careful because uh, it's not just about the pay. It's about the lifestyle. And I will say this. I spent the last week doing a lot of career coaching. The majority of the people that I've been coaching have making over 200000 a year looking to change jobs into an airline pilot career, not because of the money, because they make plenty of money, but because of the fact that they love flying, period, and they want to do this for a living. So there's, there's more to life than just money, and I think uh, we, there's two things. Number one, we don't sell the money aspect of, of course, but also we don't sell the lifestyle aspect and, and the fact that we really, really love what we do and we're, we really enjoy flying airplanes. And so I'm, I'm not going to get on a soapbox about it, but I really, it, it bothers me that we don't really look at the whole nuance of things. And we're, we're so myopic in, in the career field in aviation. You know, I've been looking at this and studying this for decades and, and helping people move forward in their careers, even during furloughs, et cetera. And I think a lot of times we need to take a, a much broader viewpoint of, as to what's going on. With that said, yeah, most people, they look, are there, they're saying, hey, the numbers are good. I'm going to jump into that. They go into it, and this has happened many times where people get into it and they hate their jobs. They're sitting there flying, making a lot of money as an airline pilot, and they realize I shouldn't have done this because I don't really like it. And I've experienced that, that and I'm sure that you have too. I, I'm sure that uh, it, anybody in any career, and it really, it's important to realize it's not just about the money. And I know, Robert, you have, I'm, I'm sure you've sat next to people making really good money flying planes that hate their job, and you've sat next to people that aren't making money that love their job. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you see all kinds, and I'm trying to think, like, when, when I got started, it wasn't about really wasn't about money to me it's about the love of airplanes and the love of flying and i was pretty young so i don't really think much you know put much thought into hey what is life going to look like 10 20 years down the road when i have a family and all that so um i got into it because i liked it not because of the money um but there's definitely a lot to be said on the subject there's a lot to be said i think for why people aren't coming there i think now also um i I read the article as well uh there's a lot of barriers to entry uh now you have the 1500 hour rule flight training is a lot more expensive too i i just don't know how all that plays in what are your thoughts on that well no i i agree i think a lot of people are looking at that saying hey listen this is such a pain to get into this now i gotta get 1500 hours where before i just need my commercial license i can go fly for the airlines uh i think the airlines are changing 
And you know, especially some of the regionals are going back to 135 as opposed to 121. And basically, what does that mean? And 121 is the is the carriers that are scheduled, and 135 can be scheduled also, but it's usually charter. Uh, we used to be when I was at Continental Express, we were 135. Uh, we were 135 scheduled for certain airplanes, which meant that we didn't have to have the you know the 1500 hour rule for certain captains on certain aircraft as long as they stayed domestically. Uh, one of the one of the things that I I really think is 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 hurting us is also like you said is the cost and the time to get there, but but. With that said, the most of the time throughout the industry, 1,500 hours was not a lot of time to get into a regional. We've seen you know it go up and go down, but there was times when you, if you had 400 hours, 500 hours, you could get in. And I'm sure you've seen that too, Robert. And remember, when you got into the regionals, how many hours did you have, Robert? I had 987. So, yeah, I was below 1,000, which I was pretty low time considering. So, sure. yeah, I mean... Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. It goes, I, I think you're absolutely right. It goes in cycles. And, um, so let, I, go ahead. I was going to say, let me ask you this. Let me ask you, you know, as far as the 900 hours, you came in at a time where things were expanding. Uh, when you, you, do you remember when people were getting hired with your, your airline, especially, uh, it started slowing down? People had a lot more hours, didn't they? Absolutely. Well, and we had, you know, for a while we had no hires. And then so when we finally, brought the furloughs back in and then we had people come in that were new hires after the furloughs absolutely they had a they had a lot larger resume they were kind of the uh, top pick cream of the crop type people because there was a demand or there wasn't as much of a demand for pilots at that time so yeah absolutely it's it, it runs on you, you talked about it before the demand cycle so um it, it absolutely affects what part or what time you enter the industry how easy it is to get hired versus, you know, how hard you got to work to get to, you know, progress. And I think your point is well taken. You know, we, the 1500 hours has changed that because if you could have gone on with your regional at 900, now you can't, you need that 1500 hours unless you've gone, of course, to a four year school and all you need is a thousand, that type of thing. But uh, as far as uh, the speed of getting there, it, it's changed a little bit, but for, for many people, it hasn't. Uh, so, uh, cause again, it's more nuanced. It all depends on when you've gotten into this hiring cycle. The, the government has put this barrier, uh, through the rules and regulations on being able to get to an airline, uh, with less than 1500 hours. If you don't have a degree from a certified institution and, uh, those are those colleges that can give you that reduced ATP, excuse me, the restricted ATP with reduced number of hours uh, so things have has changed a little bit haven't they and uh, since you've been there yeah and i guess that was a point i was trying to make there is a a little bit uh more i guess barrier there that might dissuade a, a few people or they might not mm -hmm. want to put in that you know that extra effort to go to the airlines because of it and i guess that was a point i was trying to make um so you have that plus i i feel like things running obviously in cycles, they called the last decade of aviation, the lost decade, you know? So people for how long, you know, from nine 11, pretty much till the past three or four years have been hearing of how bad things were, how there's been so little progression, um, how hiring's pretty much been a trickle. Uh, you know, all you hear is bad news and bad news from all your pilot buddies. And everyone's kind of miserable with the state of affairs of the airlines that they were in because it was pretty bad. I mean, I've heard my own CEO, my company, came in and addressed us as new hires and, and referred to it as a lost decade. So uh, you, you have 
you have that whole stigma over the past few years of aviation and people, I'm sure that, uh, affects people wanting to say, Hey, do I want to stick it out where now it is really good. So I feel, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I feel that people sometimes look at it and go, man, I'm going to put a hundred thousand dollars in a flight training, just, I don't know, some number some round number, right? A hundred thousand dollars in a flight training. And I'm going to have to work at a regional for a decade or more. Is that worth the maybe potential payoff I might get to maybe getting to a major? Um, I think that plays in a lot of people's mind. Uh, where I think now as you're thing, seeing things move and a pay pick up again, I think that there will be more people entering now that there's been more good news with the with the industry. Um, so going back to the article, is it a compensation issue? Well, well, maybe, but it's also a... Uh, you know how how dedicated do you want to be? Do you want to put your professional energy into this field of aviation, where you could put it into, let's say, working as a, a lawyer and putting the same amount of money into a law degree, uh, and and maybe getting a more instantaneous payoff uh, where you're having a higher salary right off the bat. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, it's your return on investment over time. And how long do you want that return? You know, how long do you want to wait for that return? Uh, and, and again, the, that's the point I'm trying to say is going because you love it, not just for the pay, because that lost decade that you talk about, a lot of people talk about is, uh, not a lost decade for some, because there's a lot of folks that unfortunately got stuck as a captain at a major. Well, that's not unfortunate, is it? They're making a lot of money during that lost decade. And yes, they took pay cuts, et cetera. But uh, there was people out there with thousands of hours sitting out on the street. So it's a supply and demand issue. I've been talking about this quite a bit. You know, there's times when things go up and times when things go down. And part of it, again, it's much more nuanced. You have retirements, of course, that are, are fueling that. There's also an increase in the number of people flying. There's a relative decrease in the amount of money that you pay for an airline ticket. And uh, there's an increase in the population. All these things go into a pricing of things. And, and that's what we have to look at. And, but I think from this viewpoint, from trying to sell it to the younger folks and to the folks that are new to the industry, uh, you have to let them know that there might be some bad times. You might get stuck. But, you know, imagine getting stuck in a 70-seat jet as opposed to, you know, a, a, you know an 8-seat uh, propeller aircraft big difference these days and that's what you saw happening at the regionals guys getting stuck uh at certain places that really paid nothing and that's the other cool thing and pay pay is a lot better but but on the flip side of that when things get bad another thing that happens is pay goes down they cut pay uh during bad times so no matter how much you're making i mean look at look at delta when they took those huge pay cuts after 9-11 not just delta united all the the large airlines but i think delta was a standout because they took such a huge pay cut well it, it's just the way it is, and now we're we're back and even better than you know the pay way back when. So, don't want to belabor the point too much, but just remember, there's many reasons you should get into any career. Don't make it just about the money. Uh, if you truly love what you're doing, go for it. I mean, no matter what it is, get into it. If if you want to go into being a dancer, just understand what it is that you'll be doing, and that there there are certain uh, issues there with uh, with dancing, and there might be a pay that uh, is not commensurate to what you feel it should be because there's a lot of other people that want to do that. Uh, there's, you know, a big supply and a low demand. But if it was, you know, low supply, high demand, then yeah. I mean, a good example is nurses and, you know, people working in other vocations like plumbers and electricians where, you know, your entry-level pay is pretty high uh, compared to especially with pilots right now. 
So I think we, we beat up that and I hopefully send the email to me. If, uh, if you have any you know, feedback at aviation careers podcast and you can yell at me for all the comments I just made. Don't, don't, don't be mad at, at Robert cause he's a nice guy. Hey, hey, can I add something to that crawl real yes, quick? Yes, please, please. And, and, and I absolutely see your point, too. You have to get into something because you love to do it, right? And I will say, uh, just speaking from experience, I, I, am, I am built for this job. Like, I could not see myself doing really anything else. Uh, I, I just couldn't. And I have a lot of friends, uh, friends from church and stuff that are, are, that are really high up professionals, uh, CEOs, um, doctors uh, i have a few lawyer friends too i couldn't do the job they made uh a lot more money than me um and that's fine that's great that's because that's what they love to do i love the lifestyle that this job affords me and and to go back to your original point we do have a really bad job sometimes of, of, of selling the, the fine points in this lifestyle um i'm the only i'm really other than the other pilots i know the only one i know that works that has over half the month off if I want it, or I could pick up if I need more money and work more and make more money. Um, th- those are the type of things uh, that this this lifestyle affords us. I don't have to work. I could choose to work on the weekends and then have time off to homeschool my kids on the weekdays, and we can go out and do field trips and all this kind of stuff where there's no crowds, there's no everything. You know, it's pretty much wide open because everyone else is at school and work. Like these are the things that I love about this job that give us the ability to do that stuff. So really, I think what it comes down to is, um, is it something that you really want to do? Is it something that you're passionate about? And are you willing to make those sacrifices to get to where you want to go? And I think that you're seeing sometimes a shortage of people just look at the pay and go, no, I don't want to do that because I have to go to school and spend a lot of money and it's going to take me a long time to make that pay. But, um, I, and I think you need to make like good financial decisions. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that the people who are going to end up in this job should be the people who really have a passion for it and really want to do it and are highly motivated. And I guess that kind of, I don't know if that was a point you're originally trying to make, but that I, I think that, uh, if it was, I think that that we do have a bad deal of selling. Hey, this is how good our lifestyle is, and this is why we love doing what we're doing. Because you know, pilots sometimes just complain too much. <laughs> so, is that what you're trying to? Is that what you're? It's exactly. At I should have just let, let you just say everything instead of me getting involved in that whole thing. Because that was exactly what I was trying to say. Our lifestyle is amazing. It's the best part-time job in the world. It really is, and <laughs> you can do so much if you wanted to open a side. But I, I mean, there's just a whole different chance of being on of why this job is what it is. And I've been wanting to find pilots to, you know, share their experience that maybe we could bring on the show or something and mm-hmm. say, hey, this is what I can do with this job that I couldn't do really with any other job because it's a very unique lifestyle, and it's not for everybody, but. I think that the uniqueness of it will attract uh, the the people that need to be attracted to it, and it is more than just the money you make, uh, which is, ends up being very good in the long run. If you stick with it and you're dedicated to it, man, those the monetary payoffs are uh, uh, outstanding. I mean, it's amazing. Um, I fly with a, a lot of captains, and they are always talking about you know the lifestyle they live, and it's really awesome. And I'm you know I, that's great, and I'm glad that we have that. We have. I feel like we have kind of the mix of both things going, but there is the time where you have to suffer through the regional pay. There is a time that you're going to be a, a poor flight instructor eating out of a vending machine. It's part of it's part of the journey of getting there, um, and that's why I always say you got to enjoy where you're at in your journey, right? Um, because if you don't, you might always be wanting the next thing and be miserable getting to that to that end goal. So really, it's just about enjoying where you're at, enjoying where you are in that journey of getting there and, and getting it done and just having the dedication to do it and uh, and loving the, the journey along the way. 
So there you go. That was outstanding. You know, Robert, I, I agree. We should have more people to talk about that because it's just us. We do have some other people come on. A good example is Justin Ash, who came on here. Uh, he's going to come back and talk about how, why he likes to be a flight instructor at the uh, at the airline and, you know, why he loves his job, but also the fact that he gets to do so many other things. He does financial planning, and that's what he loves to do, and that's what his family does. And uh, so that's something that he's done on his days off. So a really That was a great example. interview, by yeah. the way, with him. Yeah. He, that was good stuff. I mean, he's he's really good. He he's just uh, he's just a heck of a guy, and he really loves what he's doing. He's very he's really helping us and helping people. So uh, yeah, go back and listen to that. Uh, you know, talk about the finances. I know some people turn this off. They get turned off sometimes by the finance shows that we have. I think it's important, and I can't talk finance because I'm not a financial you know advisor. But that's why I have them come on because you really need to know that. And I know you've made decisions. So have I, Robert, throughout our careers, and we've changed our focus and changed our direction. And once you get to a certain income level, things kind of change when you're looking at your taxes, don't they? Yeah, actually, I'm getting to that point now where uh, me and my wife are doing our taxes, and we're like, hey, guess what? I think next year it's time for a financial planner, which is good. We've never been in that spot before, but it's definitely more, I don't know if stress is the right word, but you have oh, to yeah. be, you ha- you know, that's just part of the thing that comes you know along. You don't have to, but if you want to make good financial decisions, you do. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's part of the territory, and it's something that we've never really had to deal with before. But uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's cool, though. That's it's again, that's all part of the journey. It's the different phases, you know, going from, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a guy just working line fueling airplanes to now I'm a flight instructor to you know regional first year pay, and it, it, it's all just it, it's all just part of it, you know. Yeah, it it really is, and it's important. I mean that that you're. A st- good steward of your money and you know we're much as you know given much as expected from people so i think that's that's pretty important that you're doing that so that's why we talk about that it's good to start now thinking about your financial future i really wish and that's one thing i took from that episode you did with him is i've made some some not so good financial decisions and i really um encourage the listeners too to to listen to that episode because had I have known some of the things that I know now, I would have certainly done things differently, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's extremely important. And I wish I would have uh, implemented some of the things he was talking about a lot sooner in my life because we'd probably be in a better situation than we are. I mean, we're not in a bad situation, but we would have just been a little more progressed on the path that we want to progress on. So it was a fantastic episode. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, thank thank Justin. I think that was awesome. But I, I, I'm definitely we're having him back to talk a little bit about his, his career and, and flight instructing. Well, anyway, we've talked a lot about this article. We've talked about some other things. There's a couple questions I want to get to before we knock off here. So I might go a little bit longer uh, as long as you have some time here. Um, these uh, and, and again, please write us back, and I'd love to hear your opinions, especially on what we just talked about. Um, let me talk a, a little bit about uh, – let me go into two questions from listeners, and then we'll have to close up. And these are really good questions. Uh, so let's start with the one. It says, uh, first of all, let me say thank you for producing such a great resource. I stumbled upon your podcast five months back and have listened to almost every episode. A quick note about me. I'm a student pilot currently moving towards my commercial pilot and associates rating. I'm British but I've lived recently in Canada and now settled in Australia. 
At 31, I'm probably at the older end of flight training with aspiration for the airlines, but it's taken me this long to have enough of a balance in the bank account to chase my dream. By the way, 31's not that old. There's a lot of folks doing the same thing, but I understand uh, you know, you're, you're thinking that way. It's never too old to get into it, but uh, especially if it's something you really love to do. Uh, his question is this. As a U.S.-based podcast, you and your co-hosts understandably focus mainly on your U.S. audience, dealing with relevant U.S.-centric topics. However, I've happened to know that you have a lot of non-North American listeners and a fair amount of discussion about 121 scholarships, degree requirements, etc. simply don't apply to us. I wonder if you could speak about the international aviation scene, including options for training in Europe, Australia, and others. The difference between YASA and FAA. Uh, what differences, if they exist, between flying for a U.S. carrier versus a European one? Just to name one example. Also, is there any possibility you could interview a pilot from a different country who could Maybe talk about the different routes to the cockpit and his or her recommendations. I know in the past you've done a couple episodes where you spoke about U.S. pilots flying in China, uh, about the Far East, but I also know there are significant differences between even our Western countries and the U.S., and I'm sure even your U.S.-based listeners would be interested to hear more about that. Sorry for the long email, and thanks again for doing such a great job. Awesome email, by the way. You're right. We have we did actually start focusing on it way back. We talked to some other uh, folks overseas, especially Australia and Great Britain. Uh, with that said, yeah, we're going to start reaching out to some of the folks overseas, and if you um, know any podcasters on the on the other side of the pond, that type of thing, yeah, we'll we'll get with them as far as careers there. There are differences, and uh, the reason, again, the majority of our audience happens to be here in North America. Actually, uh, let's see, our second largest uh, contingent, I think, on this show is either, I think it's Ireland, and then, uh, or that's actually stuck, Mike, but on this one, I think it's uh, uh, Brazil, uh, uh, Canada, and uh, in Australia, and there's a lot in Mexico, and of course in Russia, we have quite a few too. It's, it's interesting that you said that you're right. We need to concentrate more on the, the international scene. We just haven't been because uh, we're just going through this flurry of questions. I will concentrate on it, though. I will promise you I will do that. So if you know someone you want me to interview, let me know. I will. And, and please, anybody does who's international, yeah, I think our the folks that are mainly U.S.-centric would be interested in hearing about those things. About 75% of the audience, by the way, here is is from the U.S., so I, I get it. I should concentrate on the other 25%. So thanks for sending me that email. Anyway, one more question here, Robert, and then we can close up here because this, uh, and thanks so much, by the way, any feedback is really appreciated. Uh, this one I think is is important. I, I love this person's email, and I think he made some great points. So so let's talk towards those. Uh, this person writes in, and he's talking about episode 152, Finding the Best Airline. That was a really good episode that we talked about, but uh, he has some feedback. And it says, uh, hey, guys, I enjoyed episode 152 on choosing the best airline for you. I'd uh, like to mention a couple of additional items that were on my list when I was considering which airline to work for. Number one, does the airline have a defined benefit retirement plan or a fund? This could have been a huge impact on when you retire and how well off you are in retirement. I know there are not many airlines out there with defined benefit pensions, but considerable weight should be given to those that do. Good point. We talked about that in the last episode as far as it was the last two episodes ago about uh, the A and the B funds and what's the difference. So go back and listen to that one. Justin Ash actually did a good explanation of that. Uh, so I like that. I like what you said there. Uh, number two, he mentions block hours versus pay hours. At my airline, I block about 60% of what I am actually paid. At others, in order to get X hours of pay, your butt is in the seat for X hours. Block versus pay is an excellent indicator of how hard you have to work. Love that point. Awesome point. 
you are so right. There are so many differences. And I, when you said that, I actually went back and looked at my schedule and I wanted to look at my last two months. Okay, so this is February. I'm blocking at 76 hours, which is kind of high for me. I try not to do that many. And I'm crediting 83 hours. And the previous month, month which was January, I was uh, credited with 75 hours, but I actually flew 58 hours a block hour so yes it's important to know i i usually fly about 600 actual block hours a year but i'm credited for quite a few more than that so uh very very good point uh the other point that i'd like to to add to that a little more nuanced is you need to understand how to be able to do that and be efficient with your schedule and does your airline allow you to do that a lot of times at airlines like where I am, the, if you're real senior, you can get a lot of block hours, uh, excuse me, a lot of pay hours, pay hours without the block hours, block hours being your butt in your seat. Uh, and uh, But if you're a little more junior, that's not going to happen. That's true at any airline. Uh, so that's an, a very important point, and I love that one. Um, and then number three, he says, the number of pay scales and fleet mix. I completely agree with you that too much emphasis is often placed on the dollar amount of the top pay scale in an airline. But I do not think it's important to consider how many pay scales in an airline as the number of aircraft within each pay scale. So uh, it, in other words, look at every, you know, how many number of aircraft are within each pay scale. So that's important to look at, too. Very good. Good example. Oh, he gives an example. This is good. Uh, he says, for example, say ABC Airlines has a fleet of 600 jet aircraft comprised of seven different types, each with a different hourly rate. And let's say... The 600 jets in ABC Airlines fleet, only 10 are 747s at the top of the pay scale. That 747 pay scale is practically meaningless because you probably will never get there. And if you do, it'll be very late in your career. In comparison, let's say XYZ Airlines has 400 jet aircraft, five types, but only two pay scales, narrow body and wide body. And let's say XYZ Airlines fleet of 400 aircraft is comprised of 100 narrow bodies and 300 wide bodies. With XYZ Airlines, I will definitely reach the top of the pay scale early in my career, and this will have a huge impact on earnings, retirement, contributions, etc. Just my two cents. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Well, that was that was a really good explanation. I love that. Please write in again, and I'd love to hear more input just like this. I mean, what do you think, Robert? This is this was really cool. Some of the the real, I think the the actual granularity of his explanation was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he did a, a fantastic job with the question there, uh, especially uh, one thing that resonated. We're I was literally just talking with this with the captain I was flying with uh, yesterday morning. Uh, Oh, dark 30 out of Portland for some reason we're having this conversation but yeah you're the, one point I really liked to make was that what what is the probability of you making that top out pay and it's totally based on how many aircraft are in that that fleet that pays that top out pay and, and you know how many people are on the list so that was one really good point I really liked him making and uh, the the block hours versus your credit hours too um, I you know that really is a clear uh, a clear example of, um, you know, what to look at, like how much time are you going to fly? You know, we call that, there's a lot of soft time in there, right? right. And you're built in your schedule. We call that that soft time, uh, that we talk about, or I don't know if we've talked about soft time. No, but, but explain that though, please. Uh, soft time as opposed to, you know, actual hard time. Yeah. So soft time, um, you know, it, it, basically if you're hard time, you're, you're going to fly, 
80 hours in a month and you're going to get paid for 80 hours in a month where soft time you can have different things such as uh you know maybe possibly duty day rigs or um Deadhead. My mind's going blank. Help me out with it. Deadhead pay, you know, people, especially at certain airlines like mine, we deadhead a lot. Uh, yeah. So, oh, there yeah. you go, deadhead pay. Yeah. <laughs> so I can actually deadhead for 40 hours in one month, and I'm only allowed to work 100 hours. Say I worked 100 and I got a 40 hours of deadhead. It's 140 hours of pay, even though I'm by regulation, I can only fly 100 hours in the seat. Or That's daily. Or you, it, daily. Here's another one daily minimum pay. Amen. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> yes. could, you could be only fly maybe three hours for that day, but you're going to get paid six or 6.5. Or um, we have something where we have uh, rigs on our trips. So a three day trip is going to pay 19.5. Even if you only fly 13 hours, you're still going to get 19.5 for the trip. So there's all kinds of little nuances in there that uh, will boost your pay, even if you don't quite fly that credit um there's there there, there's so many examples of them i mean we could get off on some long tangents about it but absolutely that is such an important point and i'm so glad he brought that up because that is so important in contracts it's not just you just can't look at and we've said it before you just can't look at that hourly pay rate and say i make 200 dollars an hour it's what what else is in there is it you know what kind of credit what kind of soft time am i getting that's going to put me over because you could have you could have uh, what is the example saying? Um, you know, what am I trying to say here? But you could have that. <laughs> my mind. Sorry, this goes on with that. I flew a lot the last <laughs> couple of days. My mind is just not. My my elevator is not. Oh in the yeah, top no, I get it. But, but what's interesting, <laughs> I think the point is that you know you can have a lot of air. Like for me, I'm going to top out pretty soon. Um, I'm not. You know, I'm pretty soon, meaning another say six years or so and uh if i was actually at a different airline with a different fleet mix i would never get to that top pay because of my age i would retire before that because i couldn't get to that fleet type which is uh, especially what he's talking about i would never even be able to hold that fleet type and and you're seeing this at airlines especially airlines that are retiring say the 747s a lot of those people are going to the other wide body that everybody's interested in, say say a seven eighty seven or whatever, uh, and you're seeing people being pushed back and and saying, oh man, you know, I was real senior on this, but now uh, I'm I'm not going to see that. And not only that, the people that are down on the seniority list are like, I'll never see that top pay. Now, with that said, I mean it is nice to have that opportunity to fly in those airplanes, but you have to see if you do have a large fleet of certain type of aircraft, then yeah, you're going to meet that pace, we all that's for sure. Um, yeah. The soft, yeah. the soft pay too. It. I think one of the things I think that you just said is really important too is the fact that you got to look at how much you're actually paid for how many days you're at work. I think what we're ta- talking about, what he's really talking about, is efficiency. Efficiency is what's what's important. If you're working a ton of hours to get paid, you know, few hours, then there's something wrong with that. Maybe you have to look at changing your schedule. Maybe not look at that airline. Look somewhere else. There are some airlines out there that that don't have, say, a minimum daily pay. And, uh, you know, look at some of the regionals and some other, you know, low-cost carriers where, you know, you could potentially work for three days and maybe only make, say, 10 hours of pay. And that's uh, that's pretty low, you know. So you got to think about that. You know, is that a- something you want to do? Uh, whereas somebody like... Uh, it, and and it all depends, and isn't it, and it's, it's really interesting. And hopefully, people will realize that there's a thing called a, a calendar day, right? And there's a duty period. And some airlines they just pay you based on your duty period. So, say you do a red eye, you you know leave at 11 p.m. and you land at like two in the morning. That's uh, basically you're working for two days, but you only get you know maybe five hours of pay. 
uh, whereas at some other airlines, that would equate to 10 hours of pay. That's double. Double. That's a lot of money. That's a huge difference. So uh, any, anyway, I think that, that was excellent. Any other points you want to want to talk about before we have to close on this? No, I think I, I think we pretty much uh, we covered it all there. But awesome. yeah, I mean, it, it is it is extremely important, and that goes back to you have to look at, at at the contracts of these airlines. You have to look at what has been agreed to, and uh, it's so it is. And we've said it before, and I'll just say it one more time: it is so much more important than just the hourly pay rate. It is so much more important. So much more important. So, so, so the next thing that's going to happen is people are going to ask this question. I know, like, how do I find out that information? There's lots of websites out there, and they talk about it. There's uh, lots, lots of good information out there, and uh, you know, I use Airline Pilot Center as a nice overview. There's other ones that get a little more granular about it. You can ask friends, hey, can I ask you about your contract and and uh, how are you paid? That type of thing. So, information's out there on the internet. You can ask us to send some feedback. I mean. Yeah, I, I thought about putting that kind of a matrix together, but there's other people that do it, and it's all a very time-consuming process because uh, the other thing is contracts change all the time, that's for sure. Yes, but, they uh, do. Yeah, they do. Robert, this has been a lot of fun. I tell you, I, this is some good feedback we got, and uh, uh, I really appreciate this person's email and everybody's email that come in here because uh, I know there's a lot of people concerned and want to learn from uh, what other people have done in the past, and that's why your your emails are important. So no matter what, send it to if it, if it's really long, I may have to summarize it, but please send it to us because we might just take out some of the summary sections of it, and we'll talk uh, pretty much about the whole gist of that email. That was awesome. Uh, also, don't forget to go back and listen to those episodes we talked about, like 152, where we talked about uh, you know the actual what airline you should choose, and also go back to some of the episodes where we talk about. Um, you know, the different financial parts of your life and what you should start thinking about because that does play into this too. It's exactly what this person was talking about in the last email is what's an A fund? What's a B fund? What do I need to do for my retirement? That type of thing. Robert, hey, thanks again for uh, for coming by today and helping answer some of these questions. I know you've been very involved in the past with helping people move forward in their careers and doing hiring and being a Czech airman, and uh, you are the one person that really has has had a lot of fun in your life. And the other thing, too, is you never know in your journey uh, where you're going to wind up. I don't think you uh, were sure you were going to wind up at this specific airline that you're at, but you're happy where you are, aren't you? I wasn't. It was a. Uh, it was definitely a surprise to me. And yes, I'm. Uh, I'm very happy. <laughs> so yeah. it's it, funny. It's funny how things work out. <laughs> it really is. I tell you, I'm happy too. And I never even heard of the airline I worked for when I started my career. So it's uh, you know it, you don't know. Because uh, I'm in the same boat as all of our listeners. I didn't know. I didn't know what air, the different airlines. You know, I saw a couple of them because of where I lived, but I didn't know there was airlines on the West Coast. I lived in the East Coast. You know, that I didn't travel much to the West Coast. So it's those type of things. You got to. You just don't know what you don't know. But that's why you're getting out there and you're listening to these podcasts. So, and, and that's why we appreciate you. So I really think that you know, before we close, like I always tell people to to mo- do something today, do something now to move forward in your career. What I'd like you to do is do some research. Start looking into those things that we're talking about. A funds, B funds, finances, et cetera. And, and try to take that one step today to move forward in your career so that you can move forward and get closer to what it is you want to do. And you know what? You're going to realize your passion in your life just like we have. Well, folks, uh, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. 
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.